Hello and welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. Today I will be reading from the book Imagine Heaven by John Burke or by Don Piper. Near-death experiences, God's promises, and the exhilarating future that awaits you. Let's get started today with Light of the World. Today I met God, whispered four-year-old Akiani to her mother. What is God? asked her mother. Who was raised as an atheist in Lithuania? God is light, warm, and good. It knows everything and talks with me. It is my parent. The family had never talked religion, never gone to church. They didn't even own a TV. And so this shocked Forelli. Who is your God? questioned her mother. I cannot tell you. Me? You cannot tell your own mom? The light told me not to. Little Akiana held firm. You won't understand. About the same time Akiani claimed to have visits with God, she began to draw. Her drawings at the age of four and five surpassed high school level art students. It seemed miraculous. After drawing her angel, she explained, she doesn't smile in my picture because paper is not white enough to show how white her teeth are. And I wanted to show how she talks to me with her eyes through her thoughts. You see, where God takes me, he teaches me how to draw. Akiani claimed God took her to heaven where she saw a house of light with walls like glass where God lives, a place of beautiful grass and trees, plants, fruits. She exclaimed God gave her fruit in heaven. It tastes good better than anything you've ever tasted. The light gives me fruit. What fruit, her mom asked, to breathe? What do you mean? To live. God says many will need to eat that. The tree will always be there on a new earth. Though only four years old, her descriptions matched what scripture describes. See Ezekiel 1 and in Revelation 2. But her mother did not know this. I'm good there and I listen there, explained Akiani, everyone listens there. God is there. The music there is alive. Akiani's talk of God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit combined with her supernatural gift for art eventually led her family to faith. As Akiani grew, her miraculous artistic abilities expanded from drawings to paintings, and at age seven, she began composing miraculously mature spiritual poems. By age eight, Akiani's paintings of Jesus were gaining worldwide recognition. She claimed to see Jesus in heaven and painted the renowned works, The Prince of Peace and Father Forgive Them, As a result, every major news program in America and many around the world began to recognize her as the only binary child prodigy alive for art and poetry. She says the purpose of her amazing art is to draw people's attention to God. And I want my poetry to keep their attention on God. At age nine, she painted another picture of Jesus in the cosmos. Her mother asked her about a planet. Oh, that's the new earth. I just felt that I had to include it. I don't remember where, when, or how, but the earth will change. All I know is that everything will be different. 
There will be no fear, no hatred, no hunger or pain, only love. Is your Jesus looking at the galaxies, her mother questioned as they looked at the painting? He's talking with his father in heaven about the future of our world. I think Jesus will come back in full power very soon. In the back of him, you can see the whole birth process of our new universe. World-renowned, by age 10, she began to get tough questions. One day, someone asked Akiani why she had decided on Christianity rather than a different world religion. I didn't choose Christianity, Akiani replied. I chose Jesus Christ. I am painting and writing what God shows me. I don't know much about the religions, but I know this. God looks at our love. At an art exhibit, one man confronted her. I am a Buddhist. You call Jesus the Prince of Peace? Yet in his name, so many people were massacred. How do you explain that? Jesus is peace, just like the calm water. Ten-year-old Akiana answered, But anyone can drop a stone into the water and make it muddy. Imagine Jesus. Though this sounds somewhat like a modern-day near-death experience, it's not. I was exiled to the island of Patmos. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in the book everything that you see. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves, and his face was like sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Revelation 1. John, one of Jesus' disciples, saw this several decades after Jesus' crucifixion. When we think about Jesus only as a meek, mild manner, religious figure, stained glass into obscurity, and mostly out of touch with our real lives today, we've been deceived. Jesus revealed the Almighty, all knowing, ever present, infinite creator of the universe in a form we could relate to because God wants relationship. But Jesus is not only fully man, he's fully God in all of his majestic brilliance today. That's what near-death experiencers see, the majesty of God in the form of a man. And those who already know him recognize him. Like Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. They will listen to my voice. Dean recognized him immediately. Jesus is pure light. His brightness was before me, around me, part of me, and in me. He is brighter than the noonday sun, but we can still look at him in heaven. Jesus is more beautiful, wonderful, and glorious than I can explain. Everything about Jesus is love. His love for you is so personal, it seems as if it's only for you. 
you come to realize that he has cared for you forever and will continue to care for you forever. His love is alive. It is more than just a sense. You are becoming his love. You are his love. Jesus loves us completely. It was like I was the only one he loved in all of his creation. I knew he loved others, but it seemed as if I was the only one. During their peak into heaven, many near-death experiencers report the very thing scripture says. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb Jesus is its lamp. While on earth, Jesus told his followers he is the light who came to reveal the love of the unseen God. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord. Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus did not reveal all there is to see of God's invisible power but the exact representation of God's character in a form we could relate to. The nature of God is only one, yet revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit is a mystery that seems paradoxical to our infinite three-dimensional minds. How can three persons be one God? We can only understand partially by analogy. God is flatland. To help us understand, I want to adapt English schoolmaster Edwin Abbott's concept of flatland. Imagine if you created a flat two-dimensional world, flatland. The flat people of your created world would only move in two directions, forward and backwards, or right and left. There's no up or down, no third dimension, because you, their creator, are three-dimensional They could not see you as you are unless you ripped them off their two-dimensional flat plane and changed them into three-dimensional creatures. And that would be death. Death means separation from their 2D world. But you could choose to reveal a two-dimensional slice of yourself to them. You could put your arm around their flatlands and they'd see a round 2D slice of you. It's not fully you but it's as much as these 2D people can see and still live in flat land. If you try to explain that you're not actually one circular slice, but multiple slices that form one being that would be a paradox to them, multiple 2D circular slices are always separate in flat land. They can never be one. Why? Because they have no third dimension where circular slices can be stacked up into one unified being. Jesus was called the arm of God revealed in Isaiah by Jewish prophets who foretold his arrival into our 3D world. How God 
can be three separate persons, yet one God is a mystery that only resolves somewhere beyond heaven's extra dimensions. Though all analogies fall short, Jesus revealed a 3D slice of God's being. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, or as much as you can see in this 3D life. That's why scripture says no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. John 1. Does the scripture reject the possibility that near-death experiencers are seeing God? I don't believe so. Just as many Old Testament prophets had visions of God, Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, near-death experiencers may also be seeing God by having been temporarily ripped away from this world and taken into heaven's dimensions. As one of Dr. Pim Van Lommel's Dutch near-death experiencers stated, I must admit that human language is woefully inadequate for conveying the full extent, the depth, and the other dimension I've seen. Old Testament light of the world. The Jewish prophet Ezekiel appears to have seen Jesus's pre-incarnate glory in his vision of heaven. High above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up looked like glowing metal as if full of fire and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel had this vision nearly 600 years before Jesus's birth. Yet what he describes sounds like a modern near-death experience. 550 years before the birth of Jesus, Daniel was told by an angel exactly when Jesus the Messiah would come and be killed. The anointed one Messiah will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, Jerusalem and the temple. The Romans destroyed the temple in 70 CE and it has never been rebuilt. So this Messiah had to come and die before 70 CE. Then Daniel had a similar vision of Messiah's pre-incarnate glory on the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river the Tigris I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist his body was like topaz his face like lightning his eyes like flaming torches his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude from the old testament times to new testament times to near-death experiencers today the same man of light who shines brighter than the sun has revealed the unseen god in a relatable form the night before his crucifixion jesus prayed that his disciples would see him with the glory i had with you the father before the world began. Saul, the Pharisee later called Paul, had Christians arrested and even killed 
for blasphemy because they equated Jesus with the one true God, Yahweh. Then Saul saw Jesus in his glory. I persecuted the followers of the way of Jesus, hounding some to death. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. What should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Seeing the light. While on earth, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Paul encountered the same brilliant light who declared himself as Jesus. Paul went on to write, Many of the books of the New Testament. But notice, just because Jesus appeared to Paul in a blinding light, it did not mean Paul was right with God. Paul still had a choice. As Ananias indicated, Paul still had to call on the name of the Lord to have his sins forgiven and be set right before God, just like the thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus did, just like Ian. Howard Storm and other near-death experiencers realized. Those who have near-death experiences may truly be seeing Jesus himself, but that does not guarantee they will be in heaven eternally. They must choose just as Paul still had to choose. After all, Jesus appeared and did the miraculous rite in front of the Pharisees, but the Pharisees and the experts in religion law rejected God's plan for them. And they had Jesus crucified. Judas was chosen by Jesus, saw his miracles, felt his love, yet he did not submit to God's leadership. Judas tried to force Jesus to do his own will, overthrow the Romans. That's probably why he betrayed Jesus. Seeking his will above God's will backfired on Judas, yet perfectly accomplished God's plan. I thank you for joining me today and until next time, have a blessed week.